Hey, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This is our Women's World Cup podcast with me and Sports Illustrated's Lake and Littman. We'll be publishing podcast episodes after every U.S. game during the tournament. I'll also be interviewing former FIFA president Seth Blatter about his role in the origins of the FIFA Women's World Cup in 1991. While we've got you, make sure to check out our podcast series, Throwback, on the origin stories of the U.S. Women's National Team and the FIFA Women's World Cup. That's Throwback. Promise you won't regret it. Onward! Let's bring in Lakin Littman to talk about USA 3 Chile nil. Lakin, how are you doing? I'm good, Grant. How are you? I'm doing fine here. Uh, as I was mentioned to you earlier, there might be some dudes speaking French behind me here. <laughs> so a little local color, my apologies, but I think we can hear each other okay. Um, yeah. What's your take on this game? Uh, U.S. has a, a 3 nothing lead at halftime. Uh, Endler, the goalkeeper for Chile, has an absolute blinder in the second half, and it ends 3 nothing. Um, did that surprise you that the U.S. only scored three goals? Yeah, I mean, I was texting with some people and, you know, it's like in the first half you see the U.S. scores three goals and people are cracking jokes because the U.S. led 3 nothing when they played Thailand. Um, they led 3 nothing at halftime. And so you're thinking, oh, maybe, you know, they'll score 10 more goals <laughs> in the second half. Um, but as you alluded to, Christian Endler, uh, the Chilean goalkeeper, was just fantastic um you know the u.s couldn't score any more goals carly lloyd nearly had a she had a a penalty kick opportunity and went wide which was totally um out of character for her and um i don't know if you talked to Kristen press after the game but she had so many opportunities and man i can imagine how frustrated she was after that but yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, I I assumed the U.S. would score more goals in the second half, but just given that performance by their goalkeeper, um, I am not as surprised because of how good she was. Yeah, we knew that Endler was good coming in, but I wasn't prepared for what she did in the second half. Uh, Carly Lloyd, two goals. Uh, by the way, she scored in her sixth straight World Cup game. That's unprecedented in the history of the Women's World Cup. Um, got the start, obviously, and. Uh, I had put out a tweet uh, based on uh, something I had heard uh, not long before uh, the lineups were announced that the U.S. was going to make seven changes and change its entire front three. And here we have a situation where after just two games, all 20 field players have played for the U.S. And most teams go entire World Cups without playing all of their field players. For the U.S., it only took two games. I think that's a big takeaway from this game, too. Yeah, I mean, that's got to give all those players a ton of confidence moving forward that they have experience now, especially players like Jess McDonald and uh, Tierna Davidson, who had two assists. I mean, that's that's got to just make you feel so good heading into games where the competition is going to be much tougher. Yeah, the players talked about that afterward. I ended up talking with a bunch of them, um, including Tierna Davidson, who's just 20 years old and can really, really serve a good corner kick, uh, which he did yeah. twice for goals today, one by Lloyd, one by Julie Ertz. Uh, Chile maybe not scouting U.S. set pieces too often if they leave Ertz open on the near post. <laughs> but, <Yikes>. yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
you know, it's. I also talked. Uh, I thought it was interesting to t- uh, Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino, who didn't play a minute today, and uh, they weren't uh, upset about you know, and especially Morgan is somebody who wants to win the Golden Boot, obviously, and had five goals in the first game. But she said, "I'm okay with this. You know, this is a, a an important thing for our team to get every field player." on the field in the first two games. And I think if we're going to do that, this was the game to to do that. We don't know how much we're going to need our depth later in the tournament, but we probably will. Um, and uh, yeah, Jess McDonald hit the post. Would have been uh, an amazing goal. She told me she thought it was going in when she shot mm-hmm. it. She'd already started her celebrations, uh, she said. <laughs> Just incredible story for her to get on this team. Uh, she's the only mother on the team. Um, and really fought over the last year to earn her spot. And so it was cool to see her get on the field. Uh, the U.S. got goals pretty early in this game, um, which made, I, I think, uh, the way Jill Ellis put it in the press conference afterward, that made her able to at least enjoy a bit more Endler's amazing saves, um, you know, which everyone was just raving about after the game. And press tried to basically say that's part of the job you you do what you can in my position to score goals and if a goalkeeper makes an amazing play uh you just kind of have to say hats off to her right now i actually want to get your opinion on on ellis's lineup changes because while it i do think that it is great um you know to play all 20 field players and show the amount of depth that you have and use the depth so that you know that you have it later on. Do you think it disrupts the flow of the regular starting 11? I mean, moving forward, especially when you have Sweden in four days, potentially France on the horizon. It's not like these players play together, you know, year, you know, every single day of, of the year. I mean, it's like you would like to think that they're in a, getting into a rhythm. And I just wonder, does, does this hurt that at all? I think it's a legit question. You know, um, and yet what the players and, and Jill Ellis were saying after the game was, you know, this is a seven game tournament and that's a lot of games uh, to play in, in a fairly short time. And so uh, if there's uh, an opportunity to maybe get a little bit of rest that, you know, we're still working every day in training. And so the, I, I would also say that the level of the opposition in U.S. training sessions is probably a fair amount higher than the level of Chile or especially Thailand. So, sure. you know, I'm not too concerned about it. Um, you know, this is a tough game or a tougher game coming up against Sweden. And I think uh, the U.S. will probably come out with the A squad, guns a-blazing. Uh, but it's pretty crazy when you're your second team, the B team, your front line is Carly Lloyd, Kristen Press, uh, and Mal Pugh. For sure. I mean, and also, speaking of Carly Lloyd, and just given the fact that she just came out in total beast mode today, I mean, obviously she's made it clear that, you know, she's willing to do whatever it takes to win, wants to win another World Cup, but she wants to start. And, I mean, if Jill obviously goes back to her normal starting lineup, Thursday it's like what else can Carly Lloyd possibly do to to be a a regular starter it's like I guess nothing I mean I asked Jill Ellis that question um okay in the press conference and she kind of got this look on on her face like oh you again um (laughs) oh yes (laughs) but um 
but I, that's certainly something that is a talking point around this team. And, and Carly Lloyd is not afraid to talk about how uh, she thinks she's made a good case and an even better case today to to be a starter on this team uh, when the A squad plays. But personally, I just don't see Jill Ellis changing her mind on this. My sense mm-hmm. is that uh, she views Carly Lloyd as a number nine, a center forward at this point in her career, even though she played a little bit in the midfield uh, late in the second half today. Um, and if the question is between Alex Morgan and Carly Lloyd as your center forward, Alice is going to go with Alex Morgan. And so I think there's going to be people out there who, if the U.S. were, say, to make the World Cup final, who would be stunned that Carly Lloyd would not start a World Cup final. But if that final happened tomorrow, I think that's that would be the case. Yep, I agree with you, even though, it, I mean, it must be a really tough position for her to be in. But so it goes. Yeah, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about. So, and this is, it's tough. I feel bad for Alyssa Nair, who mm-hmm. um, had very little to do today. And yet, uh, one of the things we did see was uh, her misplay on a ball that went into the back of the net. It ended up being called off or offside, uh, the, the Chilean goal that would have made it 1-1. Um, and Nair just came out and missed the ball. And I'm wondering how concerning is that when you have some concerns about the goalkeeper position entering this tournament? Yeah, that play was very just kind of confusing, almost like I can't, I mean, just the fact that she whiffed pretty much. Um, You know, it's like, I think that this was kind of a wake-up call, you would like to think. Mm -hmm. One, just given the fact that that she nearly gave up a goal, and that would have equalized the score early on. And also when she sees on the other side how well um, Endler is playing and the competition is only going to get tougher and she can't make mistakes like that moving forward. And the fact that also the biggest question mark about this team was the experience at goalkeeper coming after Hope Solo, who I don't think would make a mistake like that. Right. Um, but, you know, that's a hard position for Alyssa Nair to be in. And um, it'll be definitely interesting to see how she regroups moving forward, um, especially as we see more set pieces against the U.S. and how, how they're defended. I mean, obviously, it was an offside call and it ended up being OK for them. But um, that was an odd mistake, I thought, on her part. It was, and I think that will be a talking point heading into the next game against Sweden because you can certainly see her, unlike these in these first two games, really being challenged at least a couple of times, a few times, to make saves. Um, and if I'm her, I just want to, you know, I don't want to be under pressure the entire game, but I also would like to get some action just to have it, yeah, you know, in the group stage and not necessarily coming for the first time in the knockout rounds. Yeah. I mean, you'd like to think that it would happen against Sweden, right? Just at right. least more action. So Yeah. Um, so uh, that's where we are right now. The U.S. after two games, uh, two blowouts. I guess this this game against Chile, not as much of a blowout, 3 nothing, but comfortable victory uh, after Felt the 13-0. Like to nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've got a situation now where the U.S. has six points, Sweden has six points, U.S. clearly has goal difference. So the only way the U.S. wouldn't win the group is if they lose to Sweden. 
uh, later in the week here. Uh, based on what I've seen from Sweden so far, I, I, I think the U.S. has to be pretty heavily favored going into that game. Um, and, and I would think fairly confident about how they played so far. Right. Uh, you mean the U.S. being confident? How yeah. They played? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, you can just tell this team is – they've never lacked confidence, but there's something that seems just different about this group this time, given the fact that they are just guns blazing all the time. And I have I keep seeing on social media that they keep talking about this bubble that they're <laughs> in. Um, you probably can talk more about that, but um, they just seem more focused – and um, they're just, they have, they're just, I don't know, there's a ruthlessness, I guess, that they have that maybe other teams in this World Cup don't have. And even if, um, you know, even if a listener gives up a goal to Sweden or to France or, you know, the, the U.S. finds that they're in an adverse situation, you just don't feel like, at least with the way that we've seen them play these first two games, that you can't count them out. I agree with all that. Uh, the other thing I would bring up just before we move on to tournament-wide discussion is uh, the players were asked about the goal celebrations, the golf clap mm. goal celebrations, oh, yeah. uh, which they said they were trying to have some fun with it, basically, uh, over the last couple of days because they'd seen the the public reaction to it, uh, the celebrations they had after the Thailand game. And so uh, I liked it. I thought it was a good response. And I think one would hope that they've sort of put that to bed in part because every opponent from now on for the U.S. is going to be viewed as stronger than the two they played so far. Right. And as far as celebrations go, I mean, we've seen so many other teams celebrate too, which is great because everyone's excited to score goals in the World Cup. And I think it is <laughs> cool that. how – yeah, right. And I think I think – I think I'm sure other players have mentioned this too, but I've seen the most being Carly Lloyd saying it's like with the celebrations and, and going over to the bench, it's like you want to get the whole team involved and celebrate everybody. And that's, I mean, how can you fault them for that? Um, moving on, a uh, couple other things that we wanted to discuss. A uh, question for you about this tournament. How seriously should we take Italy? Because this is a team that has surprised everyone by beating Australia, uh, and then they went again against Jamaica easily. So Italy's already through the knockout rounds. They're on six points. They've got Brazil next. But Italy was certainly not a team that many of us were talking about heading into this tournament as a team that could go deep. How seriously should we take them? I think as far as this tournament goes, we have to wait and see what happens against Brazil, which I am very excited about that matchup. Um, just given the the shock of how great Italy has been playing, but I think as far as how seriously should we take them as a as a uh, as a team and a federation, I think very seriously. I I mean, I was impressed with what Cristiana Girelli, who scored the hat trick in their five to nothing win over Jamaica, said the other day. Um, she was surprised, I guess, to see. Um, you know, the photos of her celebrations, speaking of celebrations, <laughs> on the on the front pages of, um, you know, papers in Italy. And she, I, so the, the Italy-Brazil game is going to be, you know, in prime time on the number one broadcast station in the country, in Italy. And so these are all things that, you know, the women's team has never had before. 
And she said that the media attention that they're getting is just invaluable for the growth of women's football in Italy. And, you know, this is the same thing that we're hearing from, you know, the U.S. players and, you know, the the um, England players and just every it's like the same. It's important to just see that all of these players from no matter what country they're from are fighting for the same thing and they all understand how important this World Cup platform is and they're just trying to use it the best they can to bring attention to these issues that they fight on a daily basis and so I think even if they lose to Brazil if they beat Brazil um, this is great for this team moving forward and I think it will force hopefully their federation and fans and everybody else to take them more seriously. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by Italy because when I was doing the research for our throwback podcast on the history of the Women's World Cup and how it got started, you know, in the 80s, the sort of unofficial World Cup, which they called the Mundialito, took place in Italy. And so... Oh, yeah. Uh, there, there have been professional women's soccer players in Italy going back until to like the late 60s. And in the 80s, that Italian national team was better than the U.S. And then obviously something happened to you know, have those countries diverge. Uh, and now Italy's in its first World Cup in two decades. So something happened to really hurt women's soccer there. And or they just didn't grow the way that women's soccer did in other countries. And so... Now they're finally showing us something. And uh, I love that we didn't expect much from Italy and they've done well so far here. But I also think that could be a crazy group on the final match day with, I expect Australia will beat Jamaica and get to six points. And then you've got uh, Italy on six, Brazil on three, and, and Italy could find itself as a third place team, uh, potentially. Yeah. Or they could win the group with nine points. So. Um, I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about another matchup, Canada-Netherlands. Um, two teams that are both on six points in their group. They've already advanced. Uh, and I just think these are pretty even teams, good teams. And I'm wondering, who do you like in that game? Yeah, I mean, they are good teams, but they've kind of gotten off to slowish starts, I feel like, just not being able to break through, really. Um, but obviously coming out, victorious in, in the end in both their first uh, two games. But I'm going with Canada um, because I think I, – I know, I know, I, I debated um, between. But I think, you know, Christine Sinclair has not scored yet, and this is her chance, I feel like, to make some kind of statement. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, you could see that, you know, in their in their last game against New Zealand that players like Jesse Fleming and Nichelle Prince, they both scored in that game. And they seem to be feeling more confident as the goals come. And, I mean, we'll see – I feel like we'll just see a stronger – Canadian team against the Netherlands maybe playing up to their competition level or something like that that's just how I'm that's how I'm feeling about them for this (laughs) for this game um and also I also want to just give a shout out I feel like the Netherlands fan base I've seen some videos of them on on Twitter and that's impressive they're just it seems like I don't make you you can give a better uh, feel for this, but are they all over France? <laughs> it seems like they've really come out in force. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because in terms of actual tickets bought, the Dutch are not like higher 
than the US or even a few other countries, but they're very concentrated around their team. And I think also too, because they're so coordinated and so loud and they've got the whole brass section, which I think everybody yeah. should have. I wish the US had that. Um, maybe it's it makes it seem like there's more of them than there even are, but, and they all wear orange. Like they're so coordinated. Um, I love it. I think they provide amazing atmosphere, the best in-stadium atmosphere of this tournament. And even today in Parc de Prince, it was really cool to see the stadium basically full and most of them being American fans. But I just wish we had that brass band. I know. I guess the American <laughs> allies need to um, up their game a little bit. <laughs> um, and... I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you about was, yeah, we've talked about this heading into the tournament, this United States and France potential collision course here, which with every game seems to become more and more likely. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if they win their, their next two games each, they will face each other in the quarterfinals here in Paris. Based on what you've seen or based on what you know about these teams, if that were to happen tomorrow, who do you think would win? I think it would be an amazing game, first of all. I think regardless when they play, it'll be probably one of the best games of the whole tournament when we, when we look back on it. Um, I'm going to stick with my initial U.S. pick. That's who I picked in our bracket before the tournament began. And now, even more so, you know, after watching them and qualifying, I thought, yeah, yeah, the U.S. will beat France. But now, when you see especially today – with the amount of depth that they have, having two full starting lineups on their on their team, um, France no team has that. It, you know, like the U.S. is just their talent level is just a notch above, I think, any other team. Even if a team like France or England or Germany will, you know, be more competitive and maybe frustrate the U.S. in some ways, but. You know, I think, as I mentioned before, like this U.S. team just seems so incredibly locked in. Um, and we've also talked about how historically the French have choked in big moments. And it would be hard to imagine them doing that, you know, in Paris with an entire stadium of French fans. Um, but I just don't think that anything at this point would phase the U.S., and they've just proved that they're just totally out for blood here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it'd be an amazing match. Um, but if I had to go one way, I, I just like the way this U.S. team is approaching things right now. And uh, the way that Jill Ellis has managed the players playing time, I think you've got it, especially attacking players coming on with just so much incentive to try and score as many goals as possible while they're on yeah. the field. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's just going to be an ongoing storyline. But uh, USA-Sweden will come ahead of that, uh, as would a round of 16 game. And I'm looking forward to USA-Sweden later this week. We will have another podcast episode uh, coming out after that USA-Sweden game. Lakin Littman, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Grant. Talk to you on Thursday. Big thanks to Lake and Littman. Next up is my recent interview with Sepp Blatter. He was the FIFA president from 1998 to 2015 when he resigned in the wake of the U.S. government's investigation into global football. Blatter worked at FIFA going back to the early 1970s, 
and he takes great pride in his role in the start of the FIFA Women's World Cup in 1991. But Blatter's legacy in women's soccer is complicated. He made some cringe-inducing comments about women's soccer over the years, and Julie Foudy told me Blatter could have done much more than he did as FIFA president to help grow the sport. But then I asked the women's soccer historian, Jean Williams, Sepp Blatter, friend or foe of women's soccer, and she paused and eventually said, friend, for what he did back in the 80s and early 90s mainly to get the Women's World Cup going. Blatter and I spoke at length about his involvement in the origins of the FIFA Women's World Cup for my podcast series, Throwback, which I hope you check out. There were a lot of intriguing things Blatter said in our interview that ended up on the cutting room floor for that series, so we decided to publish the entirety of our interview. So I want to begin by asking you, we spoke to a Norwegian woman named Ellen Wheela, and she addressed the FIFA Congress in 1986 in Mexico City and said that FIFA needed to organize a women's world championship. What do you remember that Ellen Wheeler said at that Congress? The president at that time, uh, Joao Havelange from Brazil, I was the secretary general, uh, presented the item on the agenda called uh, Activity Report. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, he made some um, remarks on the activity report, but nothing special, and, and asking if there are any questions. Do you have any questions, considerations, or whatever? And then this lady uh, was, uh, started to say, Mr. President, I can tell you that we are uh, really, we are not happy with the report you have presented because women's football is only mentioned, not even a full page, only in a paragraph of the technical part of the report. And this is not correct. So the, the, uh, I remember the President Havelange took uh, the book where it was written, the um, report, and he said, Madame, he said, speaking in French, he said, this is the report of the Secretary General and not the report of the President. So I let him give you the answer. Was it a surprise to you at the Congress in 1986 when Ellen Wheeler spoke about this? Like, you, were you not expecting her to speak? Absolutely not. Nobody expected that. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I, I was uh, the, the first surprise. Uh, and second surprise, when our president said, hey, 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 this is not my report. This is the report of the Secretary General. He has to give an answer. Uh, first, I was surprised, a little bit also ashamed, I have to say that, uh, that in the report, we should have had a look a little bit more on the women's football, and it was clear it was only a part, as a part of a page. I said, okay. Now, it's a lesson for me. It's a challenge, but also a lesson. But then I was a very happy man because I've said, okay, madame, I said, I will accept uh, the, the challenge. And uh, you will see, we will go for the organization of a Women's World Cup. And this was the start in FIFA to have a look on women's football. Because so far, we haven't had an official 
let's say, an official approach to women's football. But then we started and we have said it is now 86. We go home from Mexico and we start. And we started very fast because two years later, two years later, we organized the first international tournament, women's tournament by invitation. And uh, we did it in, uh, now it's called uh, Gansu. At that time, it was called uh, Canton, the city. Mm -hmm. And the man, the man who was behind this uh, was Henry Fogg. Henry Fogg was an entrepreneur, impresario in Hong Kong. And he was so eager to organize, uh, to organize something. And then he had this idea, yes, if we do something, so let's uh, do it in Hong Kong, in, um, in, uh, in Guangzhou. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and this was then the case. And uh, there was uh, some lovely stories, stories about this tournament, if you want to hear some of these, these stories. Yeah, what, what do you remember? All the teams, uh, they, were, they were all in the same hotel. And uh, this hotel had an, uh, a, big, uh, a big swimming pool. And then one day, one of the teams from uh, Sweden, uh, they, they went to the pool and they were bare-breasted. So you can imagine uh, what has happened in this hotel. Everybody at the windows to look at that. And then we had diplomatically to intervene when using <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the, the swimming pool. Please, uh, 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 ladies... Uh, be uh, in, uh, let's say, in the accordance of the uh, diplomatic attitude of young ladies when they go to the swimming pool. This was one an interesting thing <laughs> that everybody was laughing at that time. Uh, otherwise, it was great to have uh, all teams together. And then, after the success of this tournament, the executive committee has taken the decision, okay, then now let's make a world a championship mm -hmm. and to organize a championship we needed them some more time because we cannot do a, a championship by invitation uh, so uh, we started then with the different continents uh, continental confederations mm -hmm. uh, to have a look on the organization of women's football in order to be able then in uh, two uh, in 1991 uh, we had then the, the first official tournament in the same city. This was then really the, the start, mm -hmm. the, FIFA, the FIFA World Cup and uh, for the women. And it was the start at the same time uh, for development of women's football. Mm -hmm. Having uh, done it, then uh, we tried to develop the football and we have realized that the women's football in most of the countries, uh, even in some of the countries, they were not even member of the national associations. Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure that women's football is organized in the same organization that they are the members of FIFA as men and the youth football. This was the first step. And second step, we had to have a look to give also to women's football some finances. Mm -hmm. And this was a big problem. This was a big, big problem. And I can tell you, in the executive committee of FIFA at that time, it, no women, naturally, in the committee, mm -hmm. uh, it was very difficult to pass 
a proposal uh, that from uh, uh, the money FIFA is giving to the national associations uh, associations for their support that at least uh, 20% of this uh, uh, money shall go to women's football. At the beginning, they said 10, and uh, I said at least a third. Mm -hmm. It was not, I would say, uh, I was not happy about the executive committee. I was not the president. And with my proposal to go a little bit higher, I remember the reaction. They said, first, they have to prove that they play good football. And I said, listen, uh, I was uh, during six years, I was the development officer or technical director of FIFA. I said, before they can play football, you have to learn them to play football and you have to take the time we have given to men's and youth football during six years uh, to, to, to be on the international mm -hmm. level. And uh, so it started, uh, but it started late. Uh, I'm, I was still the Secretary General, but it, 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 women's football was a little bit, uh, I couldn't say my baby because not the right expression, but I have it in my heart because of this a lady from uh, from uh, Norway, this Ellen, mm -hmm. this lady Ellen, who challenged me at that time. So therefore I said at the end of this uh, competition where there was a, a final, unfortunately the final uh, was in the rain, raining, mm -hmm. raining, Norway uh, against uh, uh, Germany. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we couldn't make the uh, award presentation and the cup presentation in the stadiums, was not all covered, uh, so we did it later. But it was very good because the ladies, they have been in the final when they uh, came for the ceremonies, all the three teams, but the, the, both of them, they have just played uh, two or three hours before, and then they came in, in the room. I tell you, all the assistants, it was like, oh, it was like a defile of mode. It was a, a fashion show. And then it was at that time that I had the orders to say the future of football is feminine. And, I remember. Uh, uh, we have worked on that, uh, on that uh, later on. To hear Blatter tell the story, the men running national federations didn't try to stop him from organizing a women's world championship. But only one man, Henry Folk from Hong Kong, was willing to foot most of the bill for the first Women's World Cup, since FIFA barely had a budget for it. And I wanted to know, you, you mentioned resistance from men inside FIFA, inside you know presidents of, of member associations, which are almost entirely men and always have been. Um, in 1986, was there resistance from those men to Ellen's proposal? Uh, no, there, there was uh, uh, there was no opposition, or, or they, uh, but uh, they were they were surprised. They were surprised, mm -hmm. and some of them has then realized that really, yes, yes, women's football is also part of of our game. It was really a historical date for women's football, mm -hmm. and uh, but the. Uh, you see the member of the member associations at that time in most of the arabic countries islamic countries mm -hmm. uh, they didn't play women's football mm -hmm. and it was difficult to introduce women's football all around the world later but now we are there that it was it was possible in uh, 
just uh, 1917, I think, mm-hmm. uh, 2017, to play an under-17 tournament uh, in, uh, in Jordan. Mm-hmm. In Jordan. Women's se- under-17 in Jordan. Okay. So the, how it has developed in, in the past. But at the beginning, when you say this historical mo- moment in Mexico City, the altitude of... Uh, more than 2,400 meters, um, uh, I would say it was it was a, a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say a shock, but a surprise. Yeah. But also my answer afterwards by saying that, yes, but we take the challenge, I take the challenge, we will come back on that. Uh, this was then, uh, I, I wouldn't say it was a standing ovation, uh, but uh, at least there were some, uh, some movements of yes, yes. Huh. It shall be done. Okay. Yeah. And I wanted to ask, why China? Uh, why not another country for 1988 and then 1991? China, because uh, there was this, um, uh, this Henry Fogg. Okay. I think he was already at the time uh, a member of our executive committee. I, he was full of football and he always brought, he was. Uh, at least I know that he was a technical committee. He came in with other proposal. Uh, also, he said we should play indoor football, uh, five-a-side football, and women's football. And when it, it came out that we shall do something women's football, he was so eager. He was so eager. I have to say, for FIFA, it was easy to accept. We had no budget for such a competition. Mm. And this gentleman, he helped us a lot by housing everybody and paying the the airfares of most of the participants. Uh, First, Bladder organized an invitational dress rehearsal FIFA Women's Tournament in 1988 in China to see how things would go. The U.S. went out in the quarterfinals. Then, in 1991, came the first FIFA Women's World Championship which wasn't an invitational, but rather had qualifying tournaments around the world. And in order for FIFA to consider the 1991 tournament a success, what were you looking for to know it was a success? Well, we wanted to make an inventory after having had this tournament by invitation, um, we had an, uh, a tournament by qualification, mm-hmm. and we wanted to make an inventory. Where is women's football nowadays? And we have realized it is Europe, uh, it is a little bit Asia, and United States, USA, the team of USA. And for the first time, we have had also the South American teams with, and we have then seen that... Uh, it was not at this competition, but later on that the Brazilian, the Brazilians have also uh, the, the, the good, uh, good not only men's football but women's football. So for us, it was to see if it is valid to make a World Cup for women. In comparison of the first uh, competition in '91, uh, where a lot of goals, there was a difference uh, or. Uh, an average of goal, uh, an average of, of goals scored, which were over three or up to four. Later, it was less scored. And why? Uh, because now it is already those they have qualified, they have had organized football. Mm-hmm. After this, uh, this cup in Sweden, I've said, now uh, let's go on. 
but it was not enough then uh, to be in women's football only for the World Cup. Uh, then we have to, to, to start also uh, to develop the game mm -hmm. and then to try to organize also youth competitions. And, but it took some time. The first one what we de have done uh, for FIFA, uh, it was in 2002, uh, where we started with an under-19 in uh, Russia and uh, we repeated two years later in Canada. Mm -hmm. But then... We abandoned and came in with the same system with boys uh, or men, and we started the under seven and under seventeen, the under twenty, mm -hmm. the World Cup, and in ninety six already, nineteen ninety six, for the first time, we brought women's football to Atlanta to the Olympic Games, mm -hmm. but only eight teams. So you see that it took some time to develop. The, the game, but it took some time also to make clear uh, to the FIFA members, the national associations and the confederations that women's football is part of their duties, it's part of their, their responsibilities. If it was easy to have it accepted uh, to, uh, uh, to Europe, um, and I would say it was easy, easier in North America, which is called the CONCACAF, because then also Canada came mm -hmm. in with, with women's football. But in the other continents, to have accepted women's football, Africa, in Asia, with the exception then uh, China, Japan, but uh, the other countries, and also in South America, mm -hmm. that the football was, and still, it's very difficult in the South American uh, footballers, then the uh, the only big or uh, the only country who came through then in uh, women's football was Brazil. Mm -hmm. But uh, from the others, we haven't seen so much and, until now. No. The advantage of uh, on the development of this women's football uh, was then also that in uh, in countries where uh, through their uh, their culture, for not saying their religion, but for their culture where women, they had no access uh, to the same uh, civil and civic rights than men. Then with, uh, coming in with women football, they have the same right. They have the right to play. They have the, to, 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 the right to travel, uh, to, uh, to bear the shirts with the national, national colors from the social cultural point of view to introduce women's football all around the world mm -hmm. uh, with a lot of to go over barriers and uh, constructing bridges mm -hmm. to bring in this football in, in the world. If you have a look, you have women in North, North Africa, in all these countries, they have, they have leagues mm -hmm. that play women's football. I witnessed another tournament, uh, women's tournament, uh, already we had in uh, in Azerbaijan, also in, uh, mm -hmm. in under-17. Yeah. And they were teams uh, when uh, the, the, the girls, they had a scarf to play. Mm -hmm. And when they have seen that the other girls, they don't play with scarves, at a certain, they took away the scarf. And, 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 and this was then... And on the football field, they were they were all the same. Mm -hmm. uh, it gave to the to, to the women, the girls, the uh, uh, confidence that football can help them in uh, in their political aspects and to be a citizen 
full citizen like men. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is an achievement of, uh, of women's football. But women's football still have uh, uh, other problems. And the problems are there is so much money in football mm -hmm. and so much uh, possibilities and so much sponsorship and so much television. But unfortunately, in this case, the women's football is still limping behind the men's football. At this point in the interview, I wanted to ask Blatter some specific questions about the 1991 Women's World Cup, and so I dove in. This is really interesting to me. Uh, I'm learning a lot. So in 1991, FIFA did not use the term World Cup to describe the 1991 tournament at the time. It was called the Fi the first FIFA World Championship for women's football for the, for the, yeah. for the M&M's yeah. Cup. Uh, why was FIFA not willing to use the term World Cup? Was there still skepticism that this tournament might not be a success? Well, I think it is. Uh, it, it is the same. It, it was like a, a first trial. That, I, but I cannot remember exactly. But it was a little bit the case because also until it came the Youth Cup, FIFA's Youth Cup. It was also a tournament, but I, I don't remember exactly why it was. Uh, it was a good, it's a good question, but uh, uh, afterwards we have naturally uh, always called World Cup mm -hmm. because also to say that it's uh, on the same level. And also the decision by Mars to sponsor the first that first tournament in 1991, M&M's Cup, obviously a property of uh, Mars, what do you remember about Mars being the, the sole sponsor? At, uh, at that time, we already had uh, the Coca-Cola company, and this was the American side uh, coming in, in FIFA's uh, sponsorship. We were happy for, for, for any sponsor we could find for, for women's football. It was not so easy at the beginning. And then another question about the 1991 tournament. The games were only 80 minutes long instead of 90 minutes long. Why were they 80 minutes long? Yeah, this was um, uh, uh, this uh, this has shocked a little bit the ladies first, uh, and we never we never uh, did it again uh, because we were also of the opinion that the ladies they should. Uh, that they should uh, have a, a smaller ball to play football, uh, the, the number four and not the number oh. five. And uh, uh, it was also the impression at that time uh, that from the physical point of view, the ladies maybe are not so much prepared that men and to play uh, only 40 minutes. It was the same with, with the youth teams in the, with, with men, it, but it's, this was wrong. Because uh, from the physical resistance, women are even, I would say, uh, more resistant than men. So it was there was no reason to play uh, 40 minutes instead of the 45. There was really no reason. And in 19, I think it was 1994, now you mentioned this earlier, you had this famous quote, the future of football is feminine. Um, what was the, the story, the exact story behind you saying this and where did you say it for the first time? It was um, uh, 95, 95 in, in okay. Sweden. It was after the um, official ceremony of uh, the and presentation of the awards. The day after we had the press conference, 
uh, and it was at this press conference uh, that I said, I said it already in the evening when I uh, have uh, seen arrival the ladies' team, I would say then they were there not as uh, women but ladies, how they were dressed, all the teams. So I, I said that there should be uh, the, the football, the, the, the future, the future should be feminine, uh-huh. and the future uh, to to be uh, to to be feminine. Uh, then we we started also to look for development of football, development of coaches, the development the youth players in order to organize then later on the youth competitions. Mm-hmm. We started to have also a women's football committee because before we had no women's uh, football committee. The next phase of our conversation was about the wildly successful 1999 Women's World Cup held in the United States and won by the home team. Now, the 1999 Women's World Cup in the United States was a runaway success. You had more than 90,000 people attending the final, big television ratings in the United States. At one point, FIFA was worried that that tournament might not be very popular a few years before. Were you surprised by how much attention that tournament in 1999 received? No, I was not. I was not surprised. I was not surprised because we have played uh, the uh, '94 uh, FIFA World Cup in the United mm-hmm. States, and it was the first time in a World Cup of FIFA that all seats were sold and all seats occupied, and I was sure uh, that with the same enthusiasm, Americans will do. Great job, because they were aware how their the team, the USA team, has done well in the uh, in the former competitions. They were gold medalist and uh, bronze medalist, mm-hmm. and uh, therefore there was a big expectation for this uh, USA team. And furthermore, we had the direct support uh, of the president of the United States at that yeah. time. Before the tournament, and he even came there at the at, at, at the mm-hmm. final, uh, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was there, and uh, the enthusiasm of this competition uh, was. I remembered it was like the, the men's competition in the stadium. People in the U.S. for international events, they go there even if they don't understand totally what <laughs> soccer means. I wanted to ask Bladder some specific tough questions, and that happened starting here. To his credit, he answers them for the most part. These are going to be tougher questions for you, but they, I, I say these with respect. There was a Women's World Volleyball Championship as early as 1952. There was a, a FIBA Women's Basketball World Championship as early as 1953. Women's Cricket had a, a World Championship as early as 1973. Uh, the first official women's football match between France and the Netherlands happened in 1971, why did it take 20 years before FIFA established a women's world football championship? Because FIFA was sleeping. That's yeah. all. FIFA was not tackling the women's, uh, women's football. Let's say you can blame me because I was technical director of FIFA at the beginning, but I had other problems than just to put football on, on the right way. Needed, we needed in football... A special intervention. This was this Norwegian, Norwegian intervention. It is also something else to say, uh, because 
uh, when you say volleyball and basketball, uh, you play volleyball, basketball, the girls at school everywhere in the world and handball, they play everywhere. But football was not in uh, and uh, football was the macho game. Mm. And it was definitely not a game for, for, for girls. I remember when I was at the primary school in, in my home village or, or small town, we, the boys, we all wanted to play football. Uh, but the girls, no, 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 no football. They, they played handball or whatever, all other sports. And, and therefore, it, was, uh, it took time until... La gente féminine realized that it's also a game for us. And when they have realized it's a game for us, then now you, you see, yes, they play. Um, I have to ask about, there was a statement you made in 2004 as the FIFA president. You said in an interview that women's soccer players should, um, should wear more feminine garb than the men, suggesting that women wear, quote, tighter shorts. You were criticized for this. Do you wish you had not made this statement? No. I said they should be feminine. But then the, the good people from the press, they said it. He said they should be sexy. I would never say that. I, I would say they should be, they should look a little bit more feminine in their dress like they do in other women's sports. That's all. But if they, and, and uh, I'm not ashamed to have said that. Because I said, women's football, the future is feminine. So please look like woman. Um, Easy. No, I also I, I appreciate your response on this. <laughs> um, in terms of the Women's World Cup today, you said earlier in our interview here that it is limping. Um, why do you think it is limping? You're limping behind uh, men's football when it comes uh, to the uh, international uh, recogn recognition uh, by uh, sponsors, uh, by television companies, by public in the stadia, uh, because it's only in the big events of uh, women's football when there is a lot of interest. In the national leagues, even in, uh, if you look here in Europe now, the, the national leagues playing good football, they are empty stadia or they do have to play in stadia with, with uh, three, four hundred people. And uh, th th this is what I say, they are limping behind. But how can you change that? I cannot change it because, first of all, I'm not any, any longer in. The secondly, secondly, it is also up, up to, to the women's football organization uh, to... to to be a little bit more, uh, I would say, uh, not aggressive, but uh, for the promotion of their football, to use uh, all items to promote it, to say how it is good, how it works. But the public, the, the other sports, I think with the exception of volleyball, other, the other women's sports have also problems in the uh, uh, team sports, I'm speaking about mm -hmm. team sports, problems in uh, popularity being uh, basketball and, and especially, especially football. When I spoke to the Norwegian woman, Ellen Wheeler, she said you invited her to a nice dinner at the 2011 Women's World Cup and honored her for her contribution to the history. She also said that FIFA could have done more over the years 
to support the growth of women's football around the world. Do you agree with her? Absolutely, absolutely. And I still say now we could have done more. But when I said the football is is feminine, we started with a lot of programs. But if the national associations are not, uh, let's let's say, so much interested in, uh, then it will uh, they will always be be behind uh, behind the men's football. Naturally, uh, uh, I am at the end of my of my career, uh, not of the uh, end of my mission. So I can still uh, uh, add something for development of football, but uh, the, uh, the 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 the. Um, uh, Yes, you, you, you also always can regret at the end of a career one could have done more for women's football. Yeah. And I thought, I thought I have done a lot. But it was obviously I could have done more. We're almost done here. I appreciate you taking this much time. Um, FIFA did not start awarding any prize money for the Women's World Cup until 2007. Why do you think it took so long? The, the FIFA at that time, at, at that time in the, in the executive committee, in the finance committee, there were people by saying they should o- already be very happy that we organized for them a World Cup. But this was not enough. We had to fight to give them all, also money. But at that time, we had not so much money in FIFA. It's also the truth. But now there is so much money. And it was already 2002 we had a wonderful going on in FIFA finances until 2015. Uh, and uh, there, there was more money paid, but still for the World Cup, it's not enough. The problem is that in this macho organization that has been FIFA in the past, now they have opened, mm-hmm. that's true. But uh, if, if you... I went... And my first days in FIFA, it's now 43 or 44 years mm-hmm. ago, I went to stadium in uh, Great Britain, in London. Mm-hmm. We went to the, um, to the director's box. Mm-hmm. And you know what was written on the door of the director's what? box? No woman admitted. Huh. No woman wow. admitted. It was in 1970. 75, 76, no women admitted. In England, no women wow. admitted. It was in England where the beautiful game has been created and where they have also created the wonderful uh, term, which means fair play. But the fair play is a little bit more than to write on a director's box, no women admitted. Wow. You know, it's a long time to... Uh, I have to say, it took a long time to develop women's football but what I was missing and still missing is the explosion uh, after you made a lot of, of development to say, now we are, we are here, we are in now. And these I am missing. They are not yet in. Perhaps after the World Cup in France, they will play for the first time also with 24 teams. Right. Uh, now we, will, we will see. But this I was missing because if you prepare something and then at a certain time, bam! And this boom, boom, it's not there. It's not, not yet there. Perhaps I will uh, be still alive uh, uh, when, it's, when it's there. I hope <laughs> so. I believe, I believe that uh, 
uh, that uh, God has something, uh, has other problems than to have a look on football. But he should have a look on football. There are so many people they play the game. I spoke to I spoke to a woman's football historian from Britain. Her name is Jean Williams for this podcast. And I asked her this question. I said, Sepp Blatter, friend or foe of women's football? And she thought about it. And she's the top historian. And she said, friend. Sepp Blatter is a friend of women's football. Do you consider yourself a friend of women's football? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm touched what she has said, really. I didn't know that, but uh, I'm touched. Yes, I'm a friend of, sure I'm a friend of women's football. Last year, Sepp Blatter visited the Men's World Cup in Russia at the invitation of Vladimir Putin. And so, considering that he has such fondness for the Women's World Cup, I wanted to know if he'd be coming to France. Are you planning to attend the Women's World Cup in France this year? Well, if I'm invited, I go. If I am invited, I go there. Yes. Okay, I, I have. I have been. I have been. I have been in the World Cup in uh, in Russia. I've been invited, mm-hmm. but if I'm not invited, uh, I am. Uh, I am retired. Not, uh, re- not totally retired, but I, I'm not in in the game for the time being. So I'm not uh, making invitations myself. Okay. I guess yeah. one question I have for you is: in in some ways. This uncertainty over whether you'll go to France this summer for the Women's World Cup, an event which clearly is important to you, do you blame the United States for the the uncertainty over your attendance this summer? No, this has nothing to do with the United States. I'm I am suspended by by the FIFA Ethics Committee. This has nothing to do with the United States. Okay. Will, will you watch the games this summer at the Women's World Cup on television if you if you don't go? Yeah, sure. Not 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 all the matches, but I will uh, I will I will see. I will watch so matches naturally. But it's an interesting question. You say I have no personally. I have no problems with the uh, with uh, with United States justice. Okay. I have no problem. Okay. I have uh, some problems or a little problem with the with the Swiss justice. Mm-hmm. This has produced then the suspension by the FIFA Ethics Committee. Okay. I'm not accused. I'm not sanctioned. I'm just suspended, okay. like a player or a coach. Okay. Well, let me just. But I, I am free. I am free of my movements. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. And lastly, is there anything else that you would like to say uh, for uh, about the story of the Women's World Cup and the origin of it and your role in it? I would like to say that uh, thanks also to the participation of the United States uh, Soccer Organization uh, that we had the opportunity uh, to organize two in a row the World Cup in the United mm-hmm. States in uh, 99, the one which was foreseen to be there. And uh, the United States, they came in in 2003 uh, when we should have gone uh, to China but there was uh, this uh, epidemic of SARS, and we couldn't go to China. And I have to say compliments, because also the 2003 World Cup in the USA, mostly played in California, uh, was, was, a great, uh, was a great success. Mm-hmm. And also all what the United States uh, football women's organizations made for the development of football, not only in the United States, but in, in the world. Uh, uh, if all the countries would have done the same, 
uh, I would say if women's football will be in a better situation. The tragedy is now that with all these efforts that the United States have made for women's football, the, the professional league is not working well now. And this is incredible. This is, this is like a sanction for, because they have done too much. I don't mm. know. But uh, this is what I regret. What I regret because there was a lot of, of uh, young, young, younger players, girls, they say, we go and play uh, soccer in the United States because there are leagues and we, we, uh, we, it's another, uh, it's, it's a wish of, of everybody to go to the USA, America, America, also for the football mm-hmm. players. And here the women, they had this chance. But if it does not work, how can you help now? You should help. You, 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 uh, your organization, your newspapers and uh, television, all those, they should help to bring back that. That's my wish. Thank you so much. No, uh, thank you, Grant. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Anyway, you are a specialist. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Lakin Littman and Seth Blatter, as well as producer Brandon Nix and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember to check out Throwback, my podcast series on the origins of the U.S. Women's National Team and the FIFA Women's World Cup. See you next time.